G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Here's how you know you're converted. You've been saved by the grace of God, so your guilt is gone. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The automatic result of someone who's been cleansed of the guilt is that the power of God's Spirit comes into you and gives you the will to conquer the sin in your life. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we'll hear the remainder of Pastor Jeff's message about being truly converted to faith in Christ and Him alone. Pastor Jeff is looking at the conversion of Saul, who later became Paul. Saul was a religious and dedicated servant of God's law, or so he thought, and became one of Christ's most dedicated servants and a writer of much of the New Testament in the Bible. Here's Pastor Jeff in Acts chapter 9. You know, Jesus told a great story. It is my favorite parable, although some say it's not a parable. Whatever it is, it's my favorite narrative in the book of Luke. Two men die. One goes to the good side of paradise. The other goes to the bad side of paradise called Hades. One is suffering. One is in ecstasy. The one that's suffering calls on Father Abraham and says, Father Abraham, my brothers and sisters didn't know this. They didn't know that there were really two... I mean, we had heard it from the prophets and everything, but we didn't really know there were two places and it mattered how you lived. So would you have Lazarus? He's the one that went to the good side of paradise. Would you have him go down and visit my family and tell my brothers and sisters about this place so they won't come here? And Father Abraham's response is a classic one. He says, no. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. He says, they've got Moses and the prophets. You and I have the word of God and the testimony of his people and the heart that is truly seeking, the heart that is truly seeking will find God. You know, that's what C.S. Lewis tried to do almost with his entire life is to show you that this is an intellectual, rational decision that you make of coming to Christ. And he used that argument, Lord, liar, lunatic, where he said, please, please don't say that Jesus is a good moral teacher because you don't have that option. A good moral teacher would not lie to you and tell you there's no way to the Father except to the Son. A good moral teacher would not say before Abraham was, I am, I existed. So he's either the Lord of the universe or he's a liar or a crazy man. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you. 
He comes into your life. And the pattern of conversion as witnessed in Paul's conversion is everyone must be converted no matter how religious or faithful. But second, true conversion requires this intellectual journey that happens as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to truth and you respond to that truth in a positive way. Conversion, again, is more than the intellect, but not less. Now, there's a lot we could talk about here. The uh, authenticity of Scripture how it passes the test of literary antiquity. We could talk about the historical man, Jesus. There's so many questions we could ask, but I don't have time to do that every time we approach this subject, but I can't do it right now. Third, true conversion involves spiritual sight. True conversion involves spiritual sight. It means that you recognize there was a time when you were blind, but now you see. What does that mean? And it's important because it's probably the most concrete test I can give you. In the narrative, we notice something. The minute the light appears, Saul is blinded. Let me read it to you. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. Okay, if his eyes are open, then he's not blind, right? But then the next verse says, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now, this is a very difficult text in some regard, but not really. We just don't go, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but here's, here's the subtlety of the passage. It's trying to tell you that as soon as Paul became spiritually awake, physically, he was blinded. As soon as he was able to see things the way they really are spiritually is the moment he was blinded. Now, again, so subtle, but so powerful. The way that you can tell you are getting spiritual sight is that you're aware of your spiritual blindness. Has there been a time in your life when you look back and you said, wow, moral goodness and religious ritual and living a decent moral life is not what Christianity is all about. I can't believe I thought that. And then suddenly it dawned on you, man, I got no chance of meeting with God and getting into heaven because Dude, on my best days, I'm a sinner. <laughs> on my very best, I'm a sinner. I am lower than a, a pregnant ant. I am so low. And if I don't have the grace of God, I'm in deep trouble. I can't believe I thought I was good enough to approach the throne of the living God. And suddenly, you become a person of gratitude because you're thinking, wow, he really is a good and loving God. Look what he did for me. He bridged the gap that exists between him and me. And I'm totally dependent on God for even every breath I take. So the natural byproduct of someone who's truly been converted is generosity and sacrifice. It's who you become. Paul said in Galatians 6, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's he saying? He's saying there came a time in my life when, man, I thought, I'm really pursuing those things? And he turned about and he said, I'm pursuing these things now. I'm going after the things that really matter. That, that is part of eternity. If you've truly been converted, you realize sometime in the past how blind you really were. A Christian is someone who said, man, I was an idiot. I was a fool. What in heaven's name was I thinking? There's no God or that God is not actively involved in my life or that my life, my life, I owed no one any amount of gratitude that life is ultimately about sexual conquests, the pursuit of money, and that the whole world revolves around me so much so that if I do religious stuff, it's just so that I can get God on board with my plan. I can't believe I used to think like that. 
Spiritually, I was so blind. I did not see this about God and about my heart and about humanity and about sin. And the reason you didn't see it, because you're just really playing a game. You've never really been converted. You just, well, you might've been converted to something. Sometimes people go to church because they're converted. Hey, I found some really cool people there. So you have been converted to friendship and community. Some of you like the music. Some of you like the worship. Some of you like the preaching. Some of you like the children's ministry. So it's possible to be converted to church without being converted to Christ. What I'm simply saying is that if you can't identify a time in your life when you say, man, I cannot believe I've looked at life this way. Now my eyes have been opened. I was blind, but now I see where spiritual concepts that you had heard previously that appeared to be nonsense or at least abstract suddenly became three-dimensional. You could see them. Let me give you an example. If I ask you, do you believe in the holiness of God? And you'd say, yeah. But that's different than saying, boy, do I ever. I mean, I can't believe the distance between me. I mean, God is holy. I mean, I knew he was good, but I didn't know how good. And then I'm like Isaiah. Once I met the real God, it's like, woe is me. I'm undone. I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And now you live with this. Thank you, God, that you let me come in through the atoning sacrifice of your son. I know in my heart and through scripture that although I grew up in church and it was a very legalistic church, very legalistic church, and my mom and dad did the best they could and they read scripture to me, but I know I, I wasn't truly converted until I was in seminary. Now you think about what I just said. I had been four years of Bible college. I had been a missionary in Africa, but it's not until I went to seminary and sat in a doctrine of grace class taught by Dr. Jack Cottrell that my eyes were open and I realized, dude, Jeff, you're not that good. You're a has-been that never was. <laughs> you need the grace of God. I just began to weep in class. And all my students are just like, what's wrong? And I, it's a long story. But it dawned on me. Here's how you know. You are truly converted when you start to realize you are far worse than you ever thought you were, but you are far more loved than you ever thought you could be. Amen. Conversion. <clears throat> Everyone must be converted no matter how religious or faith-filled. True conversion requires an intellectual journey, being jolted by the evidence. Third, true conversion involves spiritual sight from asleep to awake. Fourth, true conversion is a changing of the will. Stay with me now. Acts 26, when Paul is explaining his conversion story to King Agrippa, Paul says, King Agrippa, Jesus told me that he's going to rescue me from my own people and from the Gentiles, that I'm going to be sent to them and open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. Sanctified by faith. Think about that just for a moment. Now, this is where I'm really asking you to use your intellect, the rationale. Sanctified, sanctified by faith. Sanctified means holy. There's a holy part of your living. True converted people understand the last two lines from the classic hymn, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed, here it is, be of sin the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. Here's how you know you're converted. You've been saved by the grace of God, so your guilt is gone. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
But the automatic result of someone who's been cleansed of the guilt is that the power of God's spirit comes into you and gives you the will to conquer the sin in your life. There is a strong will that you want to. Now, you're going to fail, yes, but there's a strong passion and a will to go for it, to live as close to the center of the will of Christ as you can. And if you don't have that passion or will, it's because you've never been converted. One of my favorite cartoons in that grace class from Dr. Jack Cottrell was a heavyset lady who was in a ballet class and the instructor came and said, all right, everybody touch your toes and everybody's touching their toes except this weight challenge lady. But the look on her face, she's trying with all her might. She's trying to get down there. She's trying to touch her toes. There's just too much in the way. And the instructor comes along and puts her hand on her shoulder and says, that's okay. I'll take the will for the deed. That's what Christ says to you. When you're trying and you're struggling and you fail, but you get back up and you try and you struggle and you fail, but you get back up, but the whole posture of your life is pursuing that which is holy. Do you understand what I'm saying? I am saying that if you can do something that is antithetical to the gospel and there's no shame and there's no guilt and there's no trouble or tension in your life, I'm worried about you. It's like the tightrope. This tightrope is the tightrope of what God calls us to live, a life that is difficult to live, but it's a holy life. Now, thank God, if we do fall off, and we do, there's this huge, big safety net underneath called grace that catches us. Then we climb the ladder and walk the tightrope again. But here's how American society looks at this. We come to the front. We're ready to walk the rope. And rather than walk the rope, we go, wee, and just jump in the net. (laughs) We don't even try Therefore, the grace of God go I. But the Bible says those who've been truly converted, no, 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 man. They are walking. They're trying to follow Jesus. They're trying to obey Christ. And yes, when they fall off, grace is there to pick you up. But there has to be a changing of the will. Now, this is going to hurt. If you hear people saying things like this, I feel that a woman should have the right to abort her child for any reason. It's her body. It's her right. You say that because you've not been converted. I feel as though people who love each other, opposite sex, same sex, all ages, should be able to marry whoever they want to marry. It's their right. That's because you've not been converted. People who say, well, God knows I'm weak and God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. God knows I'm just in the flesh and it's difficult to live a holy life. Those are the people who have not truly been converted. See, if you're truly converted, you're following Jesus. So you don't base your decisions on how you feel. You base your decisions on what the Word of God teaches. So if the Word of God teaches an objective truth that your emotions don't line up with, guess what you do? You grab your emotions by the scruff of the neck and you lead them to what you know is objectively true. True conversion means that you follow Jesus. It means that His Word and teachings are primary to you. They override any feelings that conflict with the objective Word of God. True conversion submits to the holiness of God and believes His law is not arbitrarily given. Now, if you're here today and you're involved in same-sex relationship, you think, man, this is my first time here and I am. I picked the wrong weekend to come. This pastor is so homophobic and he's anti-gay. No, listen, first of all, you don't know me. Be careful. You don't know me because I'm anti-promiscuity. If you want honesty, my bigger concern is not you. It's everybody cheating on their husband and wife. It's those sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend to whom they're not married and then criticizing you. That's my bigger concern. 
And I'm telling you that if you're in any kind of relationship outside of the will of God, it causes the disintegration of your soul. And I'm trying to tell you there's a better way, and it's a better way because Jesus loves you. Paul says in Romans 6, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. Wow. Sin is no longer your master because you're not under law, but under grace. What does it mean? Jesus' sacrifice means that you're clean. Because you're clean, the Spirit of God comes in to live. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you, now you have power to defeat the sin in your life, which means if you have the will to fight it, the Spirit gives you the power to overcome which means that if you've truly been converted, when you do fail, you're sad. There is shame. And you climb up again trying to walk the rope, not in an effort to be saved, but because you don't want to wound the heart of a father who already saved you. Whatever it is, adultery, pornography, drug and alcohol addiction, gossip and slander and unforgiveness, you understand that you're in a battle every day and you're fighting for your life. John Piper says, if you're not killing sin, sin is killing you. Hey, listen, I just, some of you, you got to st- listen, some of you with your kids, you got to stop beating around the bush, man. You got to stop being afraid to say something that you need to say to them. You need to tell them this is a serious matter. You need to say to them, you think you're converted, but you're not. And here's how I know there's no change in your life. There's no passion in your life for Christ. There's no passion in your life for the people of God. There's no passion in your life to obey the commands of God. And that tells me that you're just looking for a loophole, that you're looking for a social structure, but there's nothing in you to suggest that you've been converted. That's going to hurt you. It's going to be painful, but it might be the best thing they ever hear. Five and finally... True conversion is always part of a process. Paul, you say, his conversion doesn't seem a process to me. I mean, he's on the road to Damascus, bam, light, blindedness, falls down, a voice. But remember what happened to Paul. This had been happening for a long, long time. And when he's discussing with King Agrippa what gave him this change, and what he heard from God in the vision, he says, King Agrippa, do you know I heard Jesus say this to me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, you know what a goad is, right? It's a shepherd's tool. It's a sharp stick. And the shepherd who loves the sheep, when the sheep go into harm's way, will prod the sheep back into safe pastures. So Paul says that Jesus told him, I've been prodding you with this stick all your life but it's been a journey for you. Now, what kind of journey? Well, Paul says that in Romans, when he writes Romans later, he says, you know, there was a time when I felt alive under the law, but then the commandment came and I died to the law. Suddenly I realized that there's no way anybody's ever going to be good enough to be accepted by God on the basis of law. And I died. So he's dying. He's having frustration. He's having tension, but he doesn't know how to solve it. And then suddenly he starts hearing these pesky little Christians preach about God who loves you based on grace and faith. Now, at first, that makes Paul mad. He wants to kill them because it just digs in. There's a tension in him, and he doesn't know how to solve it, but it can't be these Christians. After all, I've been a professional do-gooder all my life. These guys are new to the game. And he keeps killing them. 
and punishing them. He goes ballistic. But where did Paul really go ballistic? Hmm? When he saw Stephen die. And Stephen, as he dies, looks up into heaven and sees Jesus at the right hand of the Father. But he also says, Father, do not hold the sin against him. And at that moment, Saul knew that Stephen had what he was looking for. Total acceptance before God, so much so that you'd be willing to give your life for the sake of those who are far from him. And what happened? Then God sends this road to Damascus experience. And Paul's eyes are opened. Let me introduce to you Jaylene Hinkle. She's one of America's best soccer players. She's the best women's fullback in the country. So she tried out for the Olympic, U.S. Olympic soccer team, but everyone knew it was a fait accompli. And then she got cut from the team. Now, folks, you have to understand something. That's like cutting Michael Jordan from the U.S. basketball team in his prime. And then over days, the real story began to come out. Hinkle is a Christian. She's been truly converted. She lives a very soft and gentle peacemaker type of life, while at the same time, courageously lives a life of distinction. So her problems began back in 2015 after the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. And Hinkle said on an Instagram that went like this, I believe with every fiber of my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. This world may change, but Christ and his word never will. Now that's very well done because it doesn't throw mud at anybody. It just makes a statement about where she stands. In 2017, Hinkle chose to withdraw quietly from the national team. That's different than the Olympic team then wear the U.S. jersey sporting rainbow numbers. Can you imagine this? So a national team is required to wear rainbow numbers celebrating gay pride. So she went out on social media. Notice how gentle. She says, I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to just seek and pray and determine what God was asking me to do in this situation. If I never get another national team call up again, then that's just part of his plan and that's okay. Maybe this is why I was meant to play soccer, to show other believers to be obedient. And then the story kept coming out. Notice how gentle that is. It's not about you. It's about what God is doing in me. U.S. coach Jill Ellis, by the way, is gay and married to her lesbian partner. And she's the coach that cut Hinkle. Many, even in the LBGT community, so don't throw them under the bus either, they were skeptical that the best women's fullback in the country, something that the pro-LGBT critics admit, should never have been cut from this team. And yet Hinkle stayed the course. She's going to lose a lot of money in endorsements. But that's not her pursuit. Her pursuit is God. There are going to be times in your life when you're going to be forced to make a choice between your social events, between your name, between money, between all your stuff, between your vacations, between your pursuits. And at that moment, you, God loves you, but you simply reveal down deep inside who you are, no matter what your mommy or daddy taught you, no matter how many times you went to church, no matter what school you went to, you'll find out who you really were. Now, look, I've gone way over time, way over. I mean, it's, this is unforgivable. <laughs> it's, the, it's the unforgivable sin. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I really encourage you not to let this day pass without coming and giving your life to Jesus. 
I believe that we're all going to get to heaven one day, and some of us are going to say, but wait, 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 Jesus, nobody really told us this. I mean, we didn't know, we didn't hear it like this. You just did. What will you do? It matters for eternity. Father, I thank you and praise you for your name and for your grace and for your forgiveness that those whose eyes were open, would, this would be the day. This would be the day that everything would change. This would be the final link in the chain of their true conversion and they would walk with Jesus from this day forward. In his name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.